Hello and welcome to Interfilm Recommends, a regular podcast for film club leaders to explore exciting new titles with their clubs. My name's Joe and as usual I'm joined by Michael. Hello. And this is the second episode in our run of podcasts this autumn after we explored their finest and Lady Macbeth in our previous secondary themed episode. In today's episode we'll be discussing two very different but equally brilliant films from this year, Get Out and The Red Turtle. Let's start with Get Out. Uh, it's a 15 certificate, but because of its content, we put the age rating slightly higher at 16 plus. And it, the story is about an African American man who fears for his life after meeting his Caucasian girlfriend's mysterious family for the first time. Yeah, so just to expand on that, Chris and Rose are a couple in their mid 20s, and they're all set to visit her parents as a couple for the first time. But Chris has some worries and reservations, which we can hear in this brief clip. Do they know I'm... Do they know I'm black? No. Should they? (laughs) It seems like... something you might wanna, you know... mention. And so when they do get to the house, Chris becomes confused over what to feel. The family is somewhat eccentric, and though he initially has his fears eased somewhat, he becomes increasingly concerned when strange things start to happen. So this film has been a huge commercial and critical success, and there's even speculation now that it might turn up in this year's Oscar race. What do you think it is that seems to have struck such a chord with people? I think firstly because it's exploring an on-screen story from fresh new voices. So it's the directorial debut of Jordan Peele. Um, And the themes revolve around race. Uh, And so this uh, audience demographic isn't being ignored for once or being sidelined. Along with films like Hidden Figures and Moonlight and Wonder Woman all across the past year, it proves that um, taking a bit of a risk with themes and appealing to an audience outside of what might be considered the mainstream. These films still do make money and they do resonate fantastically with audiences and with all types of audiences, we should say. Mm. Secondly, the as, as I just touched on there, the fact that it addresses prevalent issues around race, particularly in America today, and it does so in a very different way, means that audiences can relate to it and it picked up this word of mouth that turned it into a huge success story. Yeah, it really seems to have tapped into a zeitgeist, doesn't it? You know, and um, it was one of these films that started off relatively small with its opening, and then as just more and more people went to see it, it was just became like you had to go and see this film. It kind of became an event film, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And if it's, I think that's a combination of you know if it's good enough, and if it it feels like something different, mm. and if it you know people really really responded to it, and particularly mm. audiences in cinemas really loved to watch it as a group. And the third thing I'd say is that um, not only is, as just touched on there, is a very good film, um, but it has two key components to it, which is horror and comedy. I think audiences love to go to films where there is a communal or social aspect, and horror and comedy always provoke screams and laughs, and Get Out um, did provoke that in cinemas, and I can't wait to see what young audiences make of it at the Interfilm Festival. Indeed. Um, So how does the film play with audiences' expectations at various points and what do you think is the significance of a title in particular? Um, Well, the first thing I'll say is when I saw this film, I went into it cold knowing next to nothing, only the premise. And my assumption was that it was um, going to be like, guess who's coming to dinner or something something similar to that. 
Um, and I assumed that the title referred to an antagonism from the family towards this, in quotation marks, uninvited guest. Mm. Um, but the film totally flips that on its head, so you're completely wrong-footed from the outset, because much like the main character, Chris, you're constantly looking for the, for the racism, if you like, and you're waiting for the conflict. And when we get to the house, our expectations are completely confounded because of the way the characters act and the way the family uh, behave towards him. And we, we don't know what to think of these people. Mm. And again, here's, here's another clip which demonstrates that really well. I know what you're thinking. What? Come on, I get it. White family, black servants, it's a total cliche. I wasn't gonna take you there. Well, you didn't have to, believe me. <laughs> now, uh, we hired Georgina and Walter to help care for my parents. When they died, I just, I, I, I couldn't bear to let him go. I mean, the boy, I hate the way it looks. Yeah, I know what you mean. There's also a moment at the very end, which I don't want to talk about in any detail, but suffice to say, it uses audience expectations superbly. Uh, it's pretty much the final scene of the film, and once you've seen it, you'll absolutely know what I'm talking about. Um, and this sense of unpredictability that the, film's ha that the film has is certainly one of its key strengths, and it keeps you on your toes throughout. It keeps the audience guessing. And knowing this title of Get Out, we're always wondering why, what it means, who it refers to, um, and that only begins to reveal itself when one of the characters utters that phrase about halfway through. Yeah, I guess it's a very contained story, isn't it, within, you know, this kind of, in many ways, quite a generic thriller, um, but it has this resonance in the title that even can be, you know, applied to contemporary American political issues in particular, around immigration and racism and all of this kind of stuff. Um, and I think the casting's really clever in this film as well, because lots of these actors we would recognise from kind of quote-unquote liberal shows and it's we, their behaviour is quite shocking throughout the film and um, it plays with kind of audiences' expectations of characters in really interesting ways, I think. Yeah, it's always just on the edge of sinister, so everything yeah. is hinting at something unbecoming, at something mysterious and, you know, horror, horrifying. You know it's a horror as well, so you think, mm. where is the horror? Yeah. Um, but exactly, it's, it's, uh, it's really, really cleverly done. So what would you recommend audiences look out for next if they enjoyed Get Out and kind of want to explore similar films? Um, well, I've already mentioned Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. I think that's a good place to start. If, you, if your students haven't seen this classic film, then it's a great comparison piece because you can see what Get Out is uh, riffing on. And then there's um, The Wicker Man, a classic British horror from 1973. Uh, and finally, if you want a film which satirises race in the modern world, which um, Get Out does in a very particular way, um, then you could uh, look at Dear White People, which does something similar in a in a different manner. Um, and it's since spawned a, a spin-off television show. It's a comedy campus-based parody, which may appeal to fans of Get Out. Great. Well, we also have a film guide about Get Out, and it plays in the Interfilm Festival in the No Borders, No Boundaries strand. So do have a look out for it there. But if you can't get to any screenings near you, don't worry, the film is available on DVD, as is The Red Turtle, which we're about to talk about. So next up is The Red Turtle. Uh, this is a PG certificate, and we have it at 11 plus on the catalogue. 
And this is a reflective, dialogue-free animation which sees a man encounter a strange red turtle after becoming stranded on a desert island. That's right. So the film opens with this man rallying against this stormy seas and ends up with him being washed up on a uh, deserted desert island, a premise we've seen in lots of films before. Um, we never learn this man's name, but we see him you know, first surviving, so exploring and foraging for food and all of these kind of things before his th- thoughts gradually turn to escape. But every time he makes a raft, it's destroyed by this mischievous and kind of very mysterious red turtle. So from there, all sorts of mysterious and magical things start to happen, but it would be a spoiler to go too much into what happens here. So why do you think the filmmakers chose to make this film without any dialogue? And what are the advantages to this approach? So it could be seen as quite a daunting thing, both for the filmmakers and I suppose for an audience to go in and see a film uh, that's largely without any dialogue. We do hear a few kind of cries and oohs and ahs from the man um, during the film. But generally speaking, yes, this is um, a film with no dialogue. But that's not to say that it's a silent film. And what it allows you to do is it focuses on the remarkable sounds that the man hears throughout the film. So it focuses on the storms and the waves and the animals and all of the kind of everyday things that you would encounter on this kind of deserted space. And it also adds a kind of universal quality to it. It kind of hearts back to silent cinema in many ways. He becomes an everyman who anybody can latch onto. There's no kind of badness associated with him. He is literally just a man. Um, and then there's also the beautiful music that comes into play, which is really extraordinary and stunning. Um, and it all adds to this kind of very kind of gentle, sort of simple tone to the film in many ways. And it's a very kind of soothing film, I think. And it just allows you to allows it to wash over you and kind of takes on this kind of transcendent quality. So although, you know, there is no dialogue and so there's, you know, little in the way of what we could think of as conventional characterisation, I think it actually makes it all the more accessible and immersive a filmmaking experience mm. and a much more kind of personal experience, I think, for every viewer. Yeah, I agree. Um, we actually have a clip now of the score and the yeah. brilliant work that it does in the film. Over the course of a film, it does take in some kind of very big issues, you know, around life and death and companionship and solitude and loneliness. All of these kind of things that quite often come up in in films such as this. There's also um, nature, which really plays a key role in the film, and the relationship between man and nature, which gradually becomes, I would say, the key theme in the film and the one that's probably most useful for discussing with young people after they've seen the film. Um, like many Studio Ghibli films, we should say that this is a co-production, uh, French co-production with the Japanese animation studio, Studio Ghibli. Um, and like many of their films, it focuses on the environment, um, but challenges what we think of as kind of paradise. So, yes, it's very idyllic in many ways, but the paradise is full of dirt and kind of 
menacing characters in some ways um, and rain and natural disasters. But it's also just a magical fable about a man's encounter with a mysterious turtle and the themes are incredibly deep if you want to explore them. Yeah, I think one of the key things that we want to get across is that in the first question you've talked about how simple in many ways the film is and it's quite meditative and relaxing. Um, And there we've almost said the opposite in terms of there's so much to explore and there's so many themes. And that is very true of the film in that there's as much to explore in it as you want to get out of it. Um, And so this is quite a tricky one for us because we have it at 11 plus on the catalogue and this is one of the reasons because to get the most out of it, we think secondary audiences would would most benefit from that and those discussions around it. But it does absolutely work for some younger audiences as well um, on a a more sort of basic primal level. And so if you like The Red Turtle, what other films would you recommend watching? So as I've touched upon, there is a long tradition of kind of, you know, man stranded on a desert island in film, you know, going back to like Robinson Crusoe and all of those kind of stories. Um, Lots of you may remember Castaway, the Tom Hanks film, from about 10, 15 years ago, which is a really um, underrated gem, I think, and really seems to have stuck around with audiences. And also um, a film from a few years ago called All Is Lost with uh, Robert Redford, which was sadly very little seen in cinemas, but I think it's a stunning film and actually plays similarly to The Red Turtle in the way that it has this very allegorical nature. And like The Red Turtle, we never learn anything about the man um, in this film. He is literally just there and we're watching his kind of battle for survival. And I think that's a really stunning, kind of electrifying film. Actually. Yeah, and again, an homage to Sign of the Cinema. It's basically dialogue-free yes. again, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Robert Redford's on screen by himself for the entire film. And yeah, it's a really stunning piece of work. Um, if you're looking for animation, and I think this film is indicative of a kind of real golden age of animation at the moment, um, particularly beyond Hollywood. So something like My Life as a Courgette, which we've discussed in our primary podcast as well this month, um, which deals with quite difficult, sensitive issues in this really accessible and sensitive way. And if for whatever reason you're not familiar with some of the other titles of Studio Ghibli, so films such as Spirited Away or My Neighbour Totoro or Ponyo for slightly younger audiences, Princess Mononoke, I really recommend you go out and see as many of them as you possibly can because they are really magical experiences and deal with very similar themes to The Red Turtle as we've touched upon and it's just a very rich, imaginative world for children and young people to explore, I think. Okay, fantastic. The Red Turtle will also play in the Interfilm Festival in the No Borders, No Boundaries strand. But that's everything for today, so thank you very much for listening. Do check out all of our previous podcasts on SoundCloud and now on iTunes, all of which are accompanied by show notes, which link to resources, including film guides, film lists, blogs, video content, and all sorts of other good stuff. And as Joe mentioned, we have a new primary podcast episode available featuring My Life as a Courgette. We'll be back with a new episode at the end of October, so tune in then. <laughs> <laughs>